0: Welcome to the Brown County Hour.
1: Coming to you from the legendary Hills of Brown. Where are the plum purple haze.
2: The one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers.
1: Inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers.
2: It's as though the hills themselves
3: conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana.
1: Sit for a spell and hear the music.
3: Tall tales.
1: True stories.
3: And current goings-on.
1: Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter.
3: And swim buck
0: naked in summer. Welcome to episode 135 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom
4: and Sarah Lytle along with the rest of the crew. This month our musical guest is Riley Nicholson, and we'll share our conversation with him and hear a selection of his original music.
0: We have essays from Sarah Lytle, Jim Eagleman, and Dave Seastrom. And we'll also feature interviews with Lucy Schultz, Brian Smiley, and Steve Grubbs.
5: Segment one begins with our conversation with Lucy Schultz as she outlines her involvement with the Art Farm project and her musical management pursuits. We'll hear a portion of Riley Nicholson's tune, Back Porch Boogie, before we get into his interview, and we'll close with Riley's song, A Cold Day in Heaven.
0: So, it's my privilege to introduce Lucy Schultz, who is here this evening, to to talk to us about a couple of things that she's passionately interested in, and one of them is some musical acts that she's gotten involved with. Thanks for coming in, Lucy. So, what's on your mind with all this music business?
6: Well, hi, Dave. Um, So, I actually kind of transitioned. I'm a nurse uh, by trade, um, and I've kind of transitioned into the... Uh, music industry, Um, I kind of reached out to Riley Nicholson and one day told him I thought that his music was great and, you know, told him to keep going. And then he reached out to me like, hey, you know, can you help me with things, getting back to Brown County, getting exposed to the community again? And I said, sure, I'll be your boots on the ground. So that's kind of how it all started, Um, and so Riley is a rising country music star. He hopes to be famous someday, and I hope to help him get there. He calls me his manager. I I don't necessarily accept that title. i pretty much like a right-hand woman, boots-on-the-ground girl. Also, uh, we have a little intern. Her name's Sage Malaya, and she's actually sang at Open Mic Night at Brown County Inn. She is also going to be on the show, and Riley will be on the show this time.
0: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So now you're working with two entertainers. Are you anticipating expanding?
6: I hope not. Okay. (laughs) Because I I also miss being a full-time nurse. So I moved here to Brown County uh, uh, to get better physically. I've had a lot of health issues. I'm just trying to get better and if I can help these musicians while I'm getting better, you know, I can make phone calls and answer emails. And sure. so uh, it's just given me a different avenue to try to, uh, and I've always loved music. And of course, my parents, um, Jim and Terry Schultz, we all, you know, just being exposed uh, to music at a very young age and... You know, being around the campfire with that's you, Dave, a, yeah. and, and Bart strumming along on his guitar out of the pond every day. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. just how we grew up. So, uh,
0: great times.
6: Yeah, good times. Well, I
0: know that uh, Riley is also involved in, I don't know if I should call it a recovery kind of ministry, if you will.
6: Sure, yeah.
0: But that, uh, you know, he is a person who has had that experience. And yep. that, is that part of what attracted you to him?
6: Not so much in the beginning. It was more so his voice and how he honestly loved the way he ends his songs. Like, I it sounds so weird, but I love how people wrap up music. Most of the time, I'm singing the end of the song. I appreciate that about him. So, Riley uh, did have some issues with oxycodone and Xanax and lost about 10 years of his life to that and uh, about. That
0: were medically prescribed to him.
6: Absolutely. He broke his back, so he was prescribed these things um, for maintenance of pain, and we see it too often. You know, we all know the the domino effect of what's going to happen. You know, they start out on the oxy, and then this didn't happen to Riley, but many people end up on heroin because it's cheaper. That did not happen to Riley. He moved down to Georgia, him and his family, and he decided to pick up music, and he just sings and writes music.
0: So in the time that we have left, um, I am intrigued by the notion of an art farm. Yes. And you and your folks are directly involved in this project. Do you want to outline it for us a little bit?
6: Okay, so basically we went to the zoning committee and got that passed to then go on to the commissioners. Hopefully when this airs, we will have a Brown County art farm. So basically what we would offer to artists in this community is a place for artists to come live and work. We'll have like a main area for art to be created and then little pods kind of around it where people will have their studios.
0: Okay. Is there housing along with this?
6: Well, we currently have housing in the farmhouse and above the garage at my parents' house. We rent that already currently, so we're hoping to rent to all walks of life, families um, especially. We want to see kids getting on the bus from our stop.
0: Right, because uh, affordable housing is a huge issue in Brown County.
6: Absolutely. And
0: I understand that's one of the goals of this project.
6: It is one of the goals, and it's been one of the, it's kind of been a hidden goal for years. You know, we've given, you know, people and families a break, you know, and they also offer wonderful things for us. Um, Many people do lawn care and keep the yard nice, and it's all about being a good neighbor.
0: There you go. Well, Lucy, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this information. We look forward to our conversation with Riley and and good luck on the art farm. I just love the sound of that growing (laughs) art.
6: Brown County Art Farm. Yep. Yep. Thank you so much.
7: Woo! I grew up out in the country where people treat you right. And grinning on the back porch one of the best days of my life We played back porch boogie We can make it last all night long Just some good old folks just to having fun Singing a simple song One part country, two parts blues Three parts honky-tonk We played back porch boogie Everybody come sing along time band traveling around the world staying in fancy hotels meeting fancy women all dolled up in fancy pearls this fast paced life just never stops it's enough to make my straight hair curl but when I close my eyes I'm home on the back porch singing to a country girl we played back horse boogie we can make it last all night long just some good
5: old folks
7: fun singing a simple song one part country two parts blues, three parts honky-tonk we play back porch boogie everybody come sing along Make it last all night long. Just some good old folks just having fun singing a simple song. One part country, two parts blues. Three
0: parts. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce Riley Nicholson, who is a talented musician, singer songwriter, and someone who has a story to tell. Thanks for coming in, Riley. I appreciate it.
5: Uh, I appreciate you having me come in. Just a
0: little bit about your origin story. Let's start there.
5: I, I, I live in Georgia now, but I am from Brown County. Um, I, I graduated in 1997. I lived in uh, Martinsville and Bloomington and Vincennes. I went to college at different schools there. And then I lived in Greenwood for a while. I was working as putting up party tents and working in a warehouse. And I got married and I was trying to make ends meet. And she's a school teacher. And um, we, we didn't work out. And we got divorced. And um, not even two weeks after my divorce was final, I was T-boned by a a drunk driver. And I had a stress fracture in my L5 and two bulging discs, herniated discs. The doctor put me on pain pills. They didn't see with x-rays. They couldn't see the stress fracture. So they they just blamed it on herniated discs. And my pain went on and my tolerance for pain pills got, I guess you could say, I needed to take more and more. And then it turned into, well, I'm out of my pain pills for the month. What do I do? So then, you know, you go to start hospital hunting because you're, I'm sick. It's just a horrible experience to go through. And I, I went through it for almost 10 years of my life. And um, it took me moving away to, from Indiana to regroup a little bit and save my life because I was headed down the next path, heroin or and there's a lot of times I sh- I shouldn't be here. I thank God every day I am. So I feel like that, with at least with my music, I feel like that's maybe the reason he put me here. Maybe I can touch one person or touch somebody.
0: So your struggle with addiction was and is the source of your musical inspiration. Is that correct?
5: Yes.
4: Okay.
0: Well, and I've had the opportunity to listen to several of your pieces. Lucy was very kind to send them to me. And you are definitely a powerful songwriter. And I can see where some of this strength comes from. So what's next for you? I mean, now you're working with Lucy
5: or trying to get gigs. What's up? I've been lo- looking for a band. That's That's uh, been the, the part that's been holding me back. I started six years ago as a hobby. Uh, music. uh, It started as a hobby. It was my gateway to getting sober and off of the opiates and Xanax. And I did it. And um, I was one out of 2000 patients at a uh, psychiatric clinic that gave Suboxone out. And I took it and it was like a film strip. And I took it and um, it didn't get me me high, but it didn't get me sick either. And then I knew if I took a pain pill, it was going to make me sick. It automatically would send you into a Um, withdrawal phase so i was blessed to have a doctor that put me on that that's when i found music right when i started taking that coming trying to get recovery and um, the music's what kept me from going back to the the pills and down spiraling back like a like i did for 10 years so the suboxone gave you kind of a
0: leg up but then your heart was transformed by the music that you created
5: yes yeah, well, that's
0: really good news because you know that's that's a struggle
5: that not everyone survives. No, sadly, you're, you're right. And there's a lot of people from um, our hometown here that's lost their life. And so when I came back to sing at the school, I was just hoping and praying that I could. There was one person that I could touch, and um, so I hope I did. I hope I did that. That's. I feel like that if I can help somebody, then I'm I'm doing my job, and that's. The money, the fame that's that's not what's important to me.
0: Well, that's admirable of you and um, it's good to have a mission. and um, I'm very happy for you for having succeeded in overcoming this demon that has taken so many.
5: I fight it still every day. Um, there's triggers, but I overcame the now it just kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think, oh, I ever t- even want one of those. If I ever had even had surgery, I don't think, I, I think I would take Tylenol if I had to take anything. So uh, I'm blessed by by God and by by people that knew what to give me, because one doctor gave me the medicine that got me addicted, and I had another doctor save my life from getting me off the medicine. So it kind yeah, it's kind of a full circle with that. And That's um, a
0: sadly common story, and I don't know. I'm just very grateful for you to have succeeded in this. So Riley, is there a way that uh, people can listen to your music? Do you have a website, a Facebook page, or something that uh, folks could connect?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I have um, I have, uh, it's Riley Nicholson, music.net. Um, it has all my links on it, um, Facebook, Instagram. I'm verified on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and Spotify. Um, I got two music videos out on Vivo. Um, through YouTube. And uh, I've got some big things coming up. I just uh, released a song written by Alan Jackson and Jim McBride, who wrote Chattahoochee. Alan Jackson, I'm sure a lot of people know him. Um, They asked me to cut a song. So I just released it. uh, I believe it's been two weeks now. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Riley, would you do us a favor and spell your first name for us?
5: Yes, it's R-Y-L-E-E, Nicholson. It's spelled like the actor, N-I-C-H-O-L-S-O-N. Riley,
0: thank you so much for taking the time to come in and have this conversation with us. I really appreciate
5: it. I appreciate you guys.
7: I guess I must be some kind of fool. otherwise i don't know why on earth i'd hurt you your look tells me forgiveness is totally absurd you let me stay but you won't say a word a cold day in heaven tonight Trust and love are covered up in a solid device Yeah, we got trouble here in paradise It's a cold day in heaven. Tell me what I need to do Oh, I could move a mountain Or I could just hold you It's a cold day In heaven tonight Trust in love Are covered up in a solid sheet of ice Yeah, we got trouble here in paradise It's a cold day in heaven tonight Tonight.
1: now we pause for station identification
0: you are listening to the brown county hour on volunteer power community radio wfhb at 100.7 in brown county and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online
2: at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com.
3: We'll kick off segment two with a discussion about bees with Steve Grubbs. Jim Eagleman has an essay about scarlet tanagers, and we'll conclude with Riley Nicholson's song, In a World Without Merle.
4: Well, I have a very special friend here tonight, Steve Grubbs, is going to talk to us about benign beekeeping. And he's been keeping bees for 47 years, as much time as he has been in Brown County. And one of the reasons I I really like to work with Steve, I help with the bees, is that he's all about the bees and keeping things um, less disruptive for the hive. For instance, we don't look for the queen, we look for signs of the queen, correct? Mm-hmm. And what are signs of the queen?
3: When going into a hive, I try to minimize the amount of disturbance I do. Uh, it is easy to ascertain the health of the hive once you open it up. I, many people are compelled to try to find the queen, and in doing so, they can be very disruptive upon the, or have a disruptive impact on the hive, Um uh, spotting eggs, uh, looking for completely capped out brood cells, uh, those are signs that you've got a healthy colony and a laying queen. Uh, When I don't see uh, fresh eggs in a hive, I know that there's been an interruption or a queen problem.
4: Okay. I'd like to also bring out that Steve is very big on outreach and education and sharing the sweetness of the hive. So we have uh, the observation hive.
3: 30 years now I have maintained the observation hive in the Nature Center, which is just a hoot. It, it draws people like a magnet. It's one of the most popular attractions in the Nature, hi- nature Center. Uh, I, when I stop and check check on the status of the hive. I find myself getting into conversations and having fun trying to educate people about bees. We've had to make it uh, pretty durable and uh, tamper-proof, but over the years we've got a good, strong, durable observation hive.
4: And we also work together pretty closely with the Salt Creek Hive, which is around the, behind the YMCA.
3: Before I was invited to set up a hive with the uh, head of the Salt Creek Trail, Uh, It's been a great location to have. Uh, I had some uh, concerns about the nearby music center and uh, what kind of uh, chemicals were being used in the gravel parking lot because uh, most locations for bees are very sensitive to uh, any application of chemicals. A quick uh, example is for two years in a row I tried to uh, set up and maintain a hive uh, right next to the history center. Uh, failed both years. Uh, my take from that was, I don't, with all the multiple property owners in nearby proximity, I have no idea how people are managing properties with uh, pesticides, herbicides. So um, I've, so location is extremely important for successful beekeeping.
4: And you also mentioned that you have to, as a beekeeper, be um, observational of the and in tune with the timing of bloom cycles.
3: Oh yeah! Over the years, it's made me very sensitive. It's uh, created. It uh, gives you a certain perspective, a different perspective on nature in terms of what's in bloom, what are the uh, what are the cycles? Uh, because I'm always thinking, where are the f- food sources right now? So that starts in late March with the. Uh, the willows, when they come out, They're just, the bees are on that for a food for the uh, pollens, and it goes all the way up into. If we have a mild uh, fall, it goes well into the fall for uh, late season wildflowers.
4: And then there are multiple pollinators, um, and there is the white man fly. Tell well, me about that.
3: Well, I'll speak quickly about it. Honey bees. Uh, the European honey bee was introduced by the East Coast by Swedes. Uh, Spanish were bringing in hives into Mexico and Central America and South America. Uh, and it's understandable because it's it was the most uh, common source of sweeteners. Uh, it was a su- sustainable form of agriculture. So it was just, in the year 1900 in Indiana, when we had a lot of small farms, one out of four farms had honeybees. Honeybees have become quite common, embraced. We know about honeybees, a great source of uh, healthful food. They do, to some degree, compete with our native pollinators. It's a double-edged sword. We have a lot of invasive European plants, such things as uh, Queen Anne's Lace and our common clovers. Honeybees are quite adapted to that. But we have multiple pollinators in the form of flying insects and lots of birds. So uh, when we talk about pollinator habitat, it's not just for honeybees. It is for the vast number of uh, species that rely on our pollinator habitats.
4: I'd like to wrap it up with, you mentioned that sugar is not a food, but honey is. And just your quick personal health benefit with honey
3: I grew up quite asthmatic and quite allergenic. Um, I went to an allergist for five years, and guess what? He gave me desensitization shots. Well, since I took up beekeeping in the in my twenties, I've had a lot of desensitization shots in the form of bee stings, which have not only helped boost my immune response. I've never, I've not had a flu since then. Uh, but it's also eliminated any response to allergies. So I have people that buy my honey because it's local, and I say take a spoonful every day for the true health benefit.
4: Thank you for coming in and talking with us today. Thank
8: you. We were greeted yesterday with what we hope to see, the arrival of scarlet tanagers, along with the red-breasted grosbeak. Both of these migrants arrive here by late April each year, so we noted, and it was a great anticipation and a hopeful scan of the treetops that we were rewarded. What a burst of color these birds bring. That flash of cardinal red? No, it's scarlet red with black wings, an absolute brilliant red. It's an understatement. It's more vibrant than the male cardinal we all know. Tanagers are woodland songbirds with more than 254 species and 65 genera worldwide. They occur only in the Western Hemisphere with the greatest variety of tropical forests. It's from these forests in Ecuador and Colombia and South America and also from forests in Central America that the scarlet tanager we observed here had originated. That thought alone made me stop and think. And as I did, I became even more amazed that the trip between here and there, too many obstacles and hardships to imagine, what an ordeal to migrate that distance. We know they travel at night, so the recent full moon or nearly full moon I saw last night may have helped what it needed in its flight. Unfortunate finds of dead birds below communication towers helps confirm this fact that nighttime migration along the way may occur to avoid crowding and competition when they arrive for foraging sites. Using the constellations, whatever phase the moon is in, and large landscape features that are still visible by moonlight, like ridges, shorelines, and rivers, even with the slight illumination of the moon, these road map features can help guide tanagers to northern latitudes. And it's here where they nest and rear the young, and that'll soon begin. But think about it, this is a long way for a bird, when storms, landscape changes, and habitats here in North America have been altered since their last visit. Given these challenges, no wonder we're amazed. Another fact I'm all over as I watch this buoyant songster, the breeding bird survey data from as early as 1960s to 2010 shows a statistically significant decline in scarlet tanagers in the Northeast U.S. This has become pronounced since the early 1990s when tanagers populations appeared to stabilize there was a point of optimism, but studies more recently by Cornell University's Laboratory of Ornithology, a study they called the Project Tanager, looked at forest fragmentation and its effect on habitat use. Fragmentation, as you know, is the removal of the forest interior, creating parcels and separate tracks that are no longer connected. Smaller tracks are less desirable than large contiguous ones, The study showed that while increasing fragmentation reduced the suitability of breeding sites, the degree to which this happened differed amongst tanager species. For example, the scarlet tanager, there was a strong negative fragmentation effect in the largely deforested Midwest where we are and the mid-Atlantic coastal regions, but only a weak one in the largely forested Northeast. In Western tanagers in western part of the United States, elevation was as important as fragmentation in determining habitat stability. So says Cornell University's Laboratory of Ornithology, a great research site for us to tap into to learn more. Much has been learned about this neotropic migrant, as you would think. And as usually the case, the more rare things become, the more attention we pay to it. I'm skeptical with this knee-jerk decision of all of a sudden, let's see what we can do so we don't end up with another extinct species. Certainly, biologists and academics don't ever want to work under these conditions, especially when funding is the key factor. But often, this is the case. Numbers dwindle. Funding is appropriated. Grad students arise to the challenge to see what things are bad and what we can learn, sometimes too late. What is the cause? Here are some things recently learned about this scarlet tanager. They eat insects, but mostly fruit. Especially in late summer, most food is plucked from vegetation with the bill and sometimes they catch insects by flying after them. Some species of tanagers are very territorial and are solitary during the non-breeding season. They are monogamous and pair bonds last through the season. They breed at one-year-old, and the nest is usually four to 75 feet high in trees. Only the female builds the nest, and it's not reused. The young are attricial, meaning they are born blind, naked, and totally dependent on the parent and they leave the nest at 9 to 15 days. Despite habitat changes at both ends of their migration route, we see such a resilience with many migrants. But this in no way means they are faring well. The place they nest here in the Midwest and where they spend their winters in Central and South America, that'll determine how well they will do into the future. One thing we hear more and more about neotropic migrants, they overwinter in shaded forests, And these are of prime importance. And the coffee industry, as you've heard me talk here before, plays an important role. You've heard me talk about coffee plantations that used to be part of many forested lands. But low-growing, sun-loving bushes produce more coffee beans than what was produced in older plantations. With more branches, foraging sites, and food more suitable for the tanagers and other birds, the older plantations are important. But now they are being replaced with the smaller bushes that are highly productive. Less suitable habitats for foraging birds to find food. And this reflects on us as coffee consumers. The organically grown songbird coffee, as it's called, is harvested only from those older plantations. So the coffee I drink affects the birds I see. Buying songbird coffee seems an easier way I can help out the tanager I see in my woods. Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings. Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening.
7: He was there My dad's old truck Most days after school He picked me up I remember thinking He was alright I didn't know what a role He'd play in my life He taught me my first three chords On this old guitar And how to cope with a half a dozen broken hearts In a world without Merle, ain't no telling who I'd be if he hadn't got to me. I don't know how he knew all the things that I go through, but I'd have had to go through them alone in a world. Without Merle He lived the pain He put in words Somehow made it feel Almost good to her He chased the women Drank and He confessed his sins to us all in the songs he wrote. Doesn't matter where I'm at, whenever I'd hear him. It's like sitting and having a cold one with some old friend. In a world without Merle, ain't no telling who. If he hadn't got to me, I don't know how he knew all the things that I go through, but I'd have had to go through them alone. I owe the honor to I don't know how he knew all the things that I'd go through, but I'd had to go through them alone in a world without murder
5: without
1: Now we pause for station identification.
0: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org.
2: Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with a conversation about comedy with aspiring comedian Brian Smiley. Sarah Lytle continues her series on Coming to Your Senses with a piece that she calls In Space and Time. Dave Seastrom shares a story about Almost Coming Up Short, and we'll close the show with Riley Nicholson's song, Times Like These.
0: Well, it's my pleasure to introduce Brian Smiley.
9: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: So... We've interviewed all kinds of people on this show, and I believe you're the very first comedian.
9: Oh, what an honor. Yeah. yeah.
0: Congratulations, probably, maybe. Thank, we'll, we'll take them. Yeah, we'll, we'll take them where we can get them, yeah. huh? So, all right, Brian, this is interesting to me. First of all, how did you get attracted to this?
9: Uh, so I've always been a huge fan, uh, watched just way too much of it when I was younger, and I had a friend... Uh, Shout out to Jake Rubel, who's a Bloomington area comic. Uh, pick it up, and within the first couple years, he was doing it full-time as a job. And he was like, you know, you we've always been funny. You should go up and give it a try. So, Well, there's a difference between being funny and being a comedian, though. Yeah, you find that out pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. I <laughs> mean,
0: funny is reacting to things in a conversation – and a comedian is having a bit a routine where you know, I assume you've you know you have a group of these that you can pull out. It's kind of like being a musician and singing a song, only different, right?
9: Yeah, yeah, probably slightly less skill level required because anybody can talk, but
0: uh, not everybody can be funny though.
9: Yeah, no, I see it all the time. That's uh, open mics in southern Indiana.
0: So you said you mentioned that you were a big fan growing up. who were some of your favorite
9: comedians? Um, I have my favorite comedian, uh, is Doug Stanhope. Uh, not for the faint of heart. Don't, uh, <laughs> you gotta have thick skin to listen to him. Uh, I like, uh, Robin Williams when I was a kid. Um,
0: Richard Pryor. Was,
9: yeah. Love. I found him, I found out about him later in life, but okay, love, okay. love Richard Pryor. Absolutely.
0: Flip Wilson, these kinds of folks.
9: Before I'm sounding unstudied. I don't know. I don't think I know that okay, one. Okay.
0: Well, I'm, uh, for the record, quite a bit older than you.
9: Oh, I would would have not guessed
0: that. (laughs) This is the benefit of radio. (laughs) But, uh, okay, so you start out, you you write a bit, you put yourself out there. That must have been kind of terrifying the first few times, huh?
9: Oh, yeah, I walked around the garage with a wrench uh, rehearsing my set in my head uh, for several hours before I went up.
0: The wrench of support was or?
9: the wrench. Was a microphone. I, okay? All right, it, now I got like, it. Right. I thought that would help. Uh, yeah, it, right. it did not help. And being on stage was nothing like being in my garage.
0: Right. Yeah. So, were you fortunate enough to get a couple of laughs the first time out?
9: Uh, I was told I did well by a supportive group of my friends and other comedians. So that was yeah. probably enough enough to keep me going.
0: Well, excellent. And. Is that, how much ambition do you have with this? Are you hoping to do something?
9: Uh, yeah, I would love to make it a job at some point in time. I've got uh, two children, one is a new baby, so it's not in the immediate future. But the nice thing is with social media, you don't have to be in New York or LA right. to, you know, to make something of it. You know, people right. are doing it from here in the Midwest. You don't have to do the Borscht circuit. <laughs> exactly.
0: And uh, you have performed locally. You've emceed
9: at the Playhouse, opening for other comedians. That's right. Uh, I've been at the Playhouse. Uh, I'm at Story Indiana coming up. uh, The Story Inn, I think, June 17th. And then, uh, again, I think at the Playhouse on September 8th. But that's uh, still in the planning phases.
0: Well, I hate to categorize anything, and especially something like humor. But uh, how would you characterize what you do?
9: Uh, self-deprecating okay say yeah
0: okay. Uh, are you what they call a clean comedian
9: uh not to speak of okay. i uh, you know i i can't so you can't.
0: are familiar with the seven dirty words then yeah
9: I'm very familiar yeah okay. I love love carlin also he should have been on my list yes um yeah i've got probably 40 minutes worth of material maybe 10 minutes of it i could i could do it a clean room
0: okay well, it's good to have that kind of versatility, though, huh? Yeah, yeah.
9: I could probably get a lot more work if I could do more than 10 minutes, but we're, we're getting there.
0: So what is your process? Do you write this stuff down, or you just have it in your head, or how do you do it?
9: Uh, sometimes, sometimes I'll sit down and write. I'm not super disciplined, so I probably don't do that as much as I should. Uh, sometimes I will just take my baby for a walk and just talk out loud like he's listening. <laughs> just, just,
0: probably, you, know, you, know your, you know your kid's going to be in therapy for years, I right? think
9: probably if some people walked by and heard the things I was saying with a 10-month-old baby in my backpack, they would probably, maybe CPS would get called. <laughs>
0: Well, Brian, you said that you had an event coming up also. Uh, you're going to be opening at the Playhouse sometime in September. Is that correct? I
9: think September 8th. Okay. Um, they're still booking that. I don't know the details of the show just yet.
0: Do you have a Facebook page?
9: I uh, Yes, I do. I think it's just my name, Brian Smiley, and uh, I'm on Instagram at Brian Smiley, and then just an underscore.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Come. Do you have a website?
9: I don't. I should. Right. One of these days. Yeah.
0: Well, and if you put your bits on there, everybody will steal them.
9: Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that's the nice thing. If you get them out there first, then uh, people know that you've got it in writing. You know, I posted this on May 5th or whatever. If somebody does it on May 10th, they, everybody knows they're the thief.
0: <laughs> well, Brian, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much
9: for sharing this story. Hey, thanks so much for having me.
4: Greetings. This is Part 6, Coming to Our Senses in space and time. In December, I started this series on reviving our senses to become more conscious, sentient beings. Aesthetics. People who feel and perceive through their senses. You know, the five we were taught in school. But I also believe there is a sixth sense. Dave thought it might be ESP, extrasensory perception, where you can know people's thoughts. Rick suggested it was seeing into the future, Chuck said, isn't that where you talk to dead people? What do you think? Maybe we have seven, eight, ten or more senses. I agree with Dr. Oliver Sacks, the neurologist and author of The Man Who Mistook His Wife for Hat, whom I referred to in my last essay. He calls the vital sixth sense proprioception, or kinesthesia, which is the awareness or perception of the position and movement of your body. Think equilibrium and balance. Think relationship to gravity and spatial reality. There are natural stages of development when as toddlers and teens we're growing so fast we can't keep up. We don't know where our hands and feet end, we're all arms and legs, we get klutzy, gangly, loosey-goosey, topsy-turvy. But for the most part we're at home in our bodies and navigate quite well through space and time. Not like Christina, Christina was a client of Dr. Sachs who could stand only if she looked at her feet. She had to constantly monitor and orient herself through vision. If distracted, she fell. She lived in a state of total proprioceptive deficit. The sensory receptors in her muscles, bones, and joints were not relaying information in an organized fashion for her to be naturally stable. Stability is not static. It's an energetic connection between bones, joints, and the electromagnetic field of Earth gravity. We are spirits of energy navigating a human body on a gravitational planet. Liz Cook, author of the psoas, says movement is life expressing itself. She believes the psoas major to be the organ of proprioception. Uh, So do I. Working properly, the psoas major functions as the rigging on a circus tent and your spine is the center pole. If you lean to the right, the left side of the psoas will engage and keep you from falling over as the right side goes slack. Think of a baby learning to sit up, all weebly-wobbly. Until the psoas has matured, we cannot sit up, stand, or walk. It's found in the center of you, on each side of your spine, a broad muscle attached to the 12th thoracic vertebra and to each lumbar spine. It then tapers and travels through the pelvis under the abdominal organs without attaching to bone until it reaches the insertion point on the inside of the femur, the head of your thigh bone along with the iliacus. The right and left psoas work independently or harmoniously as your spine bends, curls, twists. Since it can relax or contract at any of its spinal attachments, it can compensate for and sometimes correct structural imbalances. But if skeletal instability and misalignment become chronic or habitual, the psoas will become fatigued, shortened, and actually wither, losing strength and flexibility. Movement is hydration, and movement acts as the hydraulic pump for the psoas-spinal relationship. More than just a stabilizer, the psoas also functions as the fear flight messenger. When we're agitated, worried, or fearful, the psoas is taut and battle ready. It provides us the power to kick and run, curl and hide, or stand your ground and stand tall. When we're calm and relaxed, the psoas is supple and juicy. We flow. We are not designed to be sedentary. So as you ambulate this life, Perceive through all your senses. Keep your eyes and ears open, your wits about you. Smell the air after a rain. Wiggle your toes in soft moss. Garner a sense and sensibility, a taste for living and loving. I sense it's time to go, to leave this essay, not the planet. I intend to walk the ground in this body for a long time yet and embrace this life. I'm Sarah Lytle, an aspiring aesthetic for the Brown County Hour and WFHB.
0: The lower portion of my body hasn't changed much in the last several years. I'm still pretty much buttless with spindly white legs that the bugs like to eat. It's the middle portion that's increased a little bit every year, and as the years have ticked past, it's one of my dominant features. Without offering an excuse, I look almost exactly like my dad and my grandpa did at my age, and in spite of my obvious physical changes, my pant size has remained the same. The other morning, I reached into the closet, pulled out a pair of shorts and a t-shirt, and realized I was wearing a pair of pants that tell a story from 15 years ago. A year after my daughter Lodi passed away, 16 years ago, I began creating a garden in her honor. We cleared out a couple of trees, brought in a bunch of topsoil, and planted many flowers and flowering shrubs. I also wanted to add a couple of garden features to... Accent the plants and create a pleasant ambiance in the new garden. One of the features is a sculpture that was made from a white oak stump. And when I was working on this project, something unexpected happened. The sculpture that's carved from the white oak stump portrays a closed hand, positioned as if it's holding a bouquet. Originally, there was a beech tree root ball placed on top with the roots in the air that was pressure washed to show all of the details. As I see it, the inverted roots symbolize the world upside down, which is how I felt at the time. The day was unusually hot for mid-May, and I was wearing the very same light cotton shorts with no underwear to maximize the cooling breezes on my tender parts. The basic form of the sculpture was roughed out using a chainsaw and refined with a cutting tool called a lancet. In this case, a lancet refers to a 4-inch cutting wheel with chainsaw teeth mounted to a Makita grinder. Honestly, this tool is as scary as it sounds, and you have to be very careful when you're using it. In spite of the danger, this is a wonderful tool for shaping wood. And it's able to remove the material quickly with a great deal of control and it doesn't take a lot of hand pressure to do the work. Essentially, it's a finessing tool, ideal for the task, and I was able to slowly bring the details to life. As efficient as it is, there's a downside to working with this tool. The switch locks in the on position and it continues to run whether the tool is in your hands or not. Sitting on a five-gallon plastic bucket while I worked, I'd been at it for a couple hours, and in a moment of inattention, the tool, bound into the wood, flew out of my hand and landed in my lap, running at full speed. There was no time to react. The cutting wheel ripped an eight-inch hole in my pants, ran down my right leg, and dove into my left ankle, making a nasty wound that required stitches. Stepping on this whirling dervish with my right foot, I managed to unplug the tool, then it was time for a complete assessment. With a trembling hand, I reached into my pants, and much to my great relief, everything was still there, and better yet, nothing in that region was wounded. The indescribable joy was followed by the reality that the wound to my ankle would not only require an explanation to my wife when she got home. But it would also require a trip to the emergency clinic. Explanations were offered, and when Becky saw the rip in my pants, concerns were expressed. So I changed my clothes and we drove to town. I was in a pensive mood when I was getting my ankle stitched, and absent mindedly I told the doc this wound almost included an amputation. He probably thought I was exaggerating because I didn't elaborate, but I thought it best not to reveal too much, seeing as how my dumbassery was already on full display. Later, it occurred to me that if you somehow manage to cut your own dingus off, no matter what you achieve in this life, that's the only thing anyone will remember about you. I can imagine the conversation at my funeral. Yeah, Dave was a pretty good guy, but you know he cut his own dingus off, met with nodding heads and smirks, from the listeners. That cutting wheel was never used again, and today it's mounted on a wall in my shop as a reminder to behave. Sometimes luck is with you, and on a day that could have changed my life forever, I was most fortunate indeed. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
7: I was living pain every day Doing what I thought was right But always had broken wings Fallen skies Them empty rides Lost cowboy With an outlaw's side, times like these, why chase my dreams? Proud of my life, my family's name. Some have long hard roads, others big gold. Mine's a lost dirt path where nobody. Just a songwriter with a gypsy soul Oh God please, don't give up on me Even when I can't be strong Leaving me lost here with an empty sea. Where I stand is where I belong, oh I'm coming home to you after I write these songs, times like these, why chase my dreams, I'm proud of my life.
0: Thanks for tuning in to episode 135 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming services.
1: The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone.
0: This show was produced by Chuck Wills,
4: Pam Rader,
0: Rick Fettig,
4: Vera Grubb, Sarah Lytle,
0: and Dave Seestrup. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music.
2: You have been listening to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana
3: celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community.
5: Visit us online at browncountyhour.com.
2: The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB.
1: Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana.
7: Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.